0: Sometimes as leaders, we think there's no way someone could do the job as well as we can. It can be easy to feel like we have to have our hands in everything for our church to succeed. But as we all know, that couldn't be further from the truth. No one accomplishes anything great alone. Great leaders delegate. And if you're listening to this podcast, I know you want to be a great leader at your church. If you feel like you're overwhelmed trying to do it all, today's episode partner, Belay, can help. Belay's modern staffing solutions have been helping busy leaders like you and me delegate the details for over a decade. With Belay, you can get intentionally paired with a U.S.-based virtual assistant or accounting specialist and level up your church to the power of delegation. I know what you might be thinking. I can't afford to bring on help. If you're a church leader trying to do it all, this might be the best investment you can make in your church, not to mention your relationships, your parenting, and your mental health. Belay's intentional matching process and dedicated guides are ready and waiting to help you take your leadership to the next level. To help you figure out where to start, Belay is offering an exclusive leadership toolkit free to our listeners. With this toolkit, you'll learn the necessary steps every leader needs to accomplish more and juggle less. Just text Rusty, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to get back to leading your church well with Belay. No one can do it alone. Great leaders delegate. Get the support you need to get out of the administrative weeds and back to growing your church with Belay. welcome to leading simple with rusty george our goal is to make following jesus and leading others a bit more simple here's your host rusty george hey welcome to episode 248 well it is time for dodger baseball i know i don't sound like Vince scully at all but i gave it my best shot Hey listen, uh, whether you're a Dodgers fan or not, uh, you might be curious, what's baseball going to look like for LA this year? They traded away some players, uh, some players uh, walked away, and now they're trying to make their quest into the deep into the playoffs, into October if possible. Can they do it? Well, today we talk with a LA Dodgers scout by the name of Marty Lamb. Marty's been on our show before and is kind enough to come back And tell us about this season of Dodger baseball. I want to thank Belay Solutions for sponsoring our podcast today. And I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with this great guy, a Christ follower and a great baseball scout named Marty Lamb. Here we go. Okay, Marty, thank you so much for being back on the podcast. This is your uh, second time. So uh, I'm grateful for your time. Uh, out here in California, everybody's getting excited. It's almost time for Dodgers baseball again, as Vin Scully used to say. So um, y- you're a scout. I mean, is is there ever an offseason? And if there is, what does the offseason look like for a scout? Well, first of all, I appreciate you having me back.
1: Second of all, it's changed a little bit over the years that I've done it. Uh, but now, basically, out here typically used to be done sort of middle of October. But now a lot of these teams, shoot, they're even playing into November. So you do have some games and things going into November. But then sort of like November, December, January, there's not as much things going on, but there are more organization-type stuff going on, like trying to prepare for the coming spring so for example biographical information getting all your guys you know Mm -hmm. birth dates and addresses and all that kind of stuff that you need parents you know occupations you know just different things like that the other thing that we spend a lot of time doing is um, background information and meeting with players Mm -hmm. so for example a lot of the bigger schools they'll have a time where you can come and meet with their players. So um, you might go in and let's say University of Louisville's got, I don't know, seven guys, and you will go and meet with those guys during that time, uh, probably about 20 minutes, 30 minutes apiece, and just trying to get an idea and a, a feel for the player, Maybe some makeup type stuff, um, any injuries, um, you know, who their advisor is, what they've been working on, um, you know, and just trying to get a feel for um, those kids. Um, And so you'll sort of do – you might do Louisville as a group that way. You might do Vanderbilt that way. Tennessee's been that way. Kentucky – and then you'll try to offshoot some of the other schools that might have just have a player or two. So, you, you know, it's just a time to be able to sit down. So the hitters, we have a, how uh, oh, it's a neurological um, sort of assessment, reaction time, and that kind of thing. It's almost like a video game, you know? <laughs> so you put them on this computer and, you know, there's a pitch coming at them or they have to, First of all, I think they have to, a ball pops up and react to when the ball pops up. Then if the seams are turned and then they've got sort of a pitch coming at them. So uh, the hitters, you end up sitting them down and they get on your computer and then they do that test and then you'll meet with them. Um, It's sort of neat meeting with them, one. think you get a better feel but two you get up close personal to the body and see how big strong um or not big and strong you know that type of deal like i thought this guy was a little bigger than i thought Mm -hmm. um and you get a handshake and that's sort of old school deal but you know especially for the hitters being able to grab a hold of their hand and see how big their hand is um you know, it's sort of a big thing for one, just to be able to be able to swing a wood bat, but also I think the power that the potentially would have because, well, I guess I did years ago, but if you went, Mookie's not very big, right? But my guess is if you grabbed his hand, his hands are going to be super thick and strong, hmm. you know, and he may not be that big of a guy. But, and I think that's where, that's sort of an old school scouting, you know, Mm -hmm. from their elbow down to their fingertips, you know, how strong they are. And um, Mm. I talked to a guy, you know, Hank Aaron wasn't very big, very tall and sort of narrow in that. And he said, it's like shaking two hands. I mean, just big and thick (laughs) hands, you know, and that's why he ended up with all those home runs. So...
0: Well, wow, That's interesting. You would think it would just be massive all over, but you're saying strength from the elbow down. That's really where the, yeah. where you begin to kind of correct, uh, your swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, uh, tell me who's, uh, you know, what's of the schools you're scouting right now, boy, who's got the best amount of prospects that you think, man, they've got a lot of potential, uh, major league players. Well, it's sort of the same ones, you know, over and over mm.
1: Louisville's always got a bunch of players. Um, We've took advantage of that, I guess, and and taken some of those players. Um, Vanderbilt has always had, you know, quite a few guys. And Tennessee, over the last, oh, I'd say three years since Vitello's gotten there, um, they've really, I mean, used to have to see them, but, you know, they'd have a player or two, but now they've got multiple guys. Um, Kentucky will have their fair share um, so that's typically you know the three three to four main
0: players in the area mm. that's great uh let me ask you about this um i i I'm sure that if I were to say what's the hardest pitch to hit in baseball? And everybody seems to say the curveball, but some guys are just better at it than others. So let me ask you this of the current pitchers in the major leagues. Who's the best pitcher and what's their best pitch that you think, man, that's the hardest for somebody to face?
1: <laughs> oh, boy. That's a good question. I don't know if there's one. I mean, there's so many guys. I, I, I Here's what I think ends up happening is if they have multiple good pitches, they're a starter. You know, because you might have some relievers that won't have one knockout pitch mm. and then – you know, and it'd be hard for them to go through maybe a lineup two, three times. So there might be a reliever that's got some, you know, virtually impossible pitch to hit. But then you go and look at some of the starters. I mean, I mean, you look at what Clayton Kershaw's done over time. I mean, it's ridiculous, mm. you know. And but he's got multiple pitches, and and he's sort of changed the way he uses some of the pitches, you know, as he's gotten older and that. So I don't know if there's one, you know, I mean, and the thing is now is everybody's throwing so hard and they're throwing hard in college also. Mm. I mean, when I started, if you got a guy that was maybe hit a 94 or a three or something, that was pretty impressive. It was sort of like, you know there used to be a guy with the Cardinals, and if a player hit ninety he'd in the back he'd go ding ding ding, you know like that was like everybody pay attention this guy hit ninety now that's like you see it all the time, yeah, you know, and and then even in the colleges, I mean, you can see guys ninety four ninety six ninety seven um And the crazy part about that is the college hitters, it doesn't always phase them, Hmm. you know? Now, some guys it does, and just probably the way they release the ball, they hide the ball, um, the life to the ball. But you'll see some guys throwing 94, 5, 6, whatever, and those guys are taking big swings off of them, Hmm. you know, and it's bothering them. And I think part of that is – the schools are able to train for velocity now, you know, with the machines that they've got and that kind of thing. I mean, the technology that they've got anymore is unbelievable. I mean, it's, they can set up those, they can set up some of these pitching machines to, well, let me say it this way. Let's say, um, let's just use this as an example. Chase Dollander at university of Tennessee, Tennessee's got a machine that they can set up and the spin of all of his pitches will be similar to how he throws the ball. So if I'm a young catcher or I'm a new guy to catching, I can sit there and they can set the machine up and catch basically Dolaner without him pitching. Hmm. I mean, it's crazy. They had a catcher last year that hadn't caught much, and he sat there in the offseason – and put all the metrics in of all the pitchers that they had and cut thousands of pitches off of these guys trying to learn how to catch. Wow. It's pretty – yeah. So I don't think velocity bothers them as much. I mean, you know, there was a guy last year that had a huge arm. And guys are just – I mean, it's 98, 99, and they're falling balls straight back just missing a home run, and you're like – Hmm. I don't get it. So I I think they're able to, to train for velocity. So now it's the movement of the ball and if you've got secondary pitches to go with it.
0: So these guys that throw that hard, is it going to limit their career? (laughs) Is it going to limit, you know, I mean, Chapman obviously was thrown in the hundreds and now he's, you know, on a one-year deal with the Royals, which usually means you're on your way out. So, uh, so what does that look like for guys as far as longevity? Will we see people like Kershaw that go this long, uh, in the, in the years to come? That's a good question. I question
1: if the way God made our bodies, if, if, if they're going to be able to withstand all that, yeah. to be honest with you. And I do think that's part of the reason why we're seeing so many entries in Tommy John's and that kind of thing is, mm. you know, I, I just don't know that the body, especially on the younger kids, because let's say if you're a grown man and you've gotten your man's strength and you're throwing 95, that's one thing. But you got these high school kids, let's just say throwing 95, mm. I mean, their tendons, ligaments, muscles, everything aren't strong enough, Mm -hmm. especially at that point, to be able to withstand all that. Um, I'll tell you a funny, little funny quick story. So I don't know how I got at this table, but I'm sitting with Tommy Lasorda and I'm sitting with Dr. job you know, the guy, the Dodgers physician that, that created the Tommy John surgery. And everybody seemed to be throwing harder after the surgery. So I look at Dr. Job and I'm like, Dr. Job, uh, why are these guys throwing harder? You know, and he had white hair and these big bushy like Santa eyebrows, you know, and he looks at me sort of funny and he sort of raises his eyebrows a little bit and he goes, we like to think it's a surgery, not the rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought well, I'm an orthopedic, right? But uh, I think they've learned um, how to train the body better and strengthen the body um, to throw how they're
0: throwing and, and mm-hmm. the velocity that you're seeing. That's amazing. Tell me about Tommy Lasorda, uh, you know, whether you, you hung out with him one-on-one or you just watched him from afar, what was he really good at? I mean, there's obviously so much that's been said about him, and he's legendary and and passed away here not too long ago. But, um, you know, what do you think of when you think of Tommy Lasorda?
1: I, I think it's just, w- well, one, just the loyalty and the, I mean, that, bleed Dodger blue, that wasn't like some, you know, thing that he was just said. That was true. I mean, that guy, it was all about the Dodgers. And I think that, you know, just the loyalty and the time that he spent with the Dodgers and then the motivation. I mean, he was the ultimate motivator, Hmm. you know, and, um, I think that's why they had the success that they did. And, you know, when they were the underdogs and, you know, and here they come through and, and win a world series, he was just, he was a motivator. He was loyal to the Dodgers and very loyal to those players. And I, my guesses would be, and I've never even asked this to anybody, but sort of a player's manager, you know, I mean, they, it was a family and, Especially when I started, you know, we would always talk about the Dodger family and that's all he talked about, Hmm. you know. And um, so I had quite a few times um, the uh, opportunity to to visit with them or be with them. And I'll never forget. We were in Chicago one time and we were going walking on the street from a restaurant going back to the hotel. And I mean, he's probably at that point, uh 75-ish, probably somewhere in through there. Rusty, he can't walk like three steps on the sidewalk in Chicago without somebody no recognizing him and wanting to talk to him. You know, and <laughs> you know, I mean it was unbelievable. It's like three steps and another three steps. I mean, they and this was in Chicago. Yeah. You know, so he was very good to me. Um, there was no doubt he liked to eat and I think I ate with him one time when we ate, like I ended up eating like three different meals within a span of about six hours, maybe or something. I was full and he wouldn't take no for an answer, you know? So, um, but he was very good to me. Um, and I don't know. I, I I hope. I, I just, I'm very appreciative that I had the opportunity to be with the Dodgers and, and know Tommy Lasorda, no doubt.
0: Being a Dodger guy, I mean, you, you just can't think about the Dodgers and not think of Vin Scully. Um, you know, what did he mean to the organization? I mean, having lived in L.A. now for for 20 years, I know what he means to the city of L.A., and even as a kid growing up in the Midwest, I, I'd listen to him every Saturday afternoon with, you know, the sa- Saturday afternoon baseball game. But, I mean, obviously a golden voice, obviously a brilliant announcer, but what did his legacy mean to the Dodgers? And how is he part of, um, you know, obviously part of the Dodger family, but the impact that he's had? <sighs> sort of
1: give me goosebumps thinking about him, you know, and I never met him. I, I, that was one guy hmm. that I did never meet. Um, but you're right. Just the impact and the voice and the way he told stories, how he did it by himself, how he knows. So I, I meant to ask somebody at one point, like, how does he know all these stories? You know, because I never really saw him in the clubhouse or anything beforehand. Like his research and detail to everything, and and and, and like you said, sort of that. Midwest homespun folklore, you know, the way he, he did the announcing was just and some of the things that he would say would be like, how does he think of those things? You know, what I mean, it was unbelievable, but um, my wife and I were in LA and uh, for the, when they, uh, they did the big ceremony for him on the field and it was really s- super cool. So I don't know, just that voice, I don't know. I, I think it's just it's and it's such a recognizable voice, you know exactly who it is. Mm-hmm. I I <laughs> I don't know if I'm right or not, but I I always had this thing with my wife. I said, Vince Gully's more well known than Oprah. And she'd, you know, argue the other side. I'm like, look, the guy did these games for 50 plus years, you know, and all the people that knew. You know, okay, maybe not now, but throughout, you know, he's got to be one of the most recognizable guys ever. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It was a thing of beauty. I, Joe Davis is pretty good, but I just don't know if you will ever get yeah. Ben Scully again.
0: Wow. You know. Well, we don't listen to the radio like we used to, and we don't listen to and, – and we don't even watch baseball like we used to, just to be able to right. – you know to listen to a game and all of that. that that was a special thing. All right well I know all of our listeners want to know what are the Dodgers going to be like this year I mean we see the Mets spending all this money. we see you know obviously the the Phillies uh, were, were contenders last year the, the uh, obviously the Astros but even the Braves the Padres just signed um, Machado and, and they've got so many other people they've picked up. How are the Dodgers going to be? What moves have they made in the offseason that you're excited about? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. You know, Easter is coming fast and we have put together a daily resource, 28 Days to Easter, that you can easily get at reallifechurch.org. You can check that out there. Also at my website, pastorrustygeorge.com and on our Real Life Church app. We'd love to have you follow with us as we have a reading every single day, which gets us ready for Easter. All right, back to the show. Well, it's funny because I've got a couple of buddies on the West
1: coast, you know, and they're, they're always, they're huge fans. So they're always texting me like, what what move are we going to make now? What move are we going to make now? You know? And they want like you to sign like every single all-star player, you know, they, they don't even have any idea of, you know, well, we can't do that. You know, that put us way over, you know, they're wanting judge and you know, all these guys. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, a couple things. Um, one, I do think a, couple, a few of these younger players have got a chance to sort of break through and um, with the Dodgers this year. And that's not typical um, in the sense of, you know, a lot of times we'll have this veteran type team. But if you think, uh, you know, there was a time when Will Smith had to start out and, and Bellinger had to start out and Seeger had, you, you know what I mean? So I don't know. <laughs> I know we haven't made the, maybe the big splash moves that maybe some people were wanting, but I don't know. I'm going to bet on Andrew Friedman and his group to put together a good team. You know, they've done it multiple times. Um You know, I think some of these young guys, I mean you look at Vargas, struggled a little bit when he came up, but again in today's society, we want you know, we want Vargas to hit three forty his first time out and you know, and hit a bunch of home runs. And that, you know, these guys it takes them a little while to get their feet wet. Um, but from what I've seen of him, that looks like a really a good hitter. Mm. You know? Now we won't know until he gets plenty of at-bats in the big leagues, but he's had success in the minor leagues. Um, You know, he doesn't strike out a ton. He walks, you know, all those kind of things. And just the swings that he puts on balls, it looks like it ought to work, you know? Um, And, you know, and sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. I mean, we bring up Pepio last year. You know, he's got a great change up, you know, plenty of fastball. His numbers were pretty good. I mean... Innings and hits and and strikeouts walked probably a little bit too many, but again, he got his feet wet. He sort of got acclimated to it a little bit. You know, it's just nothing different than um, you know some of these other guys. So um, I don't know. I think I'm betting on Andrew and, and his crew of putting the right pieces in there. Then you know, then you got a guy like Thor you know, uh, guard. And it's like, this guy's been awful good in the past hurt. And we have done a heck of a job with, and I wouldn't call him a reclamation project necessarily. Cause he did pitch last year, hmm. but being able to tweak some things and then him, you know, who knows what will happen. I mean, you saw it last year with, uh, with a couple of those starters. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've the player development, the the big league coaches, um, the things that they're able to look at, maybe tweak a little bit. Maybe it's usage of a a pitch. You know, we don't want to use that pitch. We want to use it this way, and they're really good at all that stuff. So, um, you know, I think some of the moves or some of these young kids that might you know outman. You know, I mean, he had a small taste, did pretty well. You know, so it's it's unique. I think this year, just in the sense, maybe there's a few younger kids that are going to get an opportunity. I mean, who knows? Maybe we've got another Bellinger, Corey Seager, Will Smith. You know, in that in that line. So
0: yeah, it is always interesting to me. The teams that spend the most money don't always win. And, you know, they, the, uh, the Yankees spend all that money on Judge, but he only gets up there four times and at best. And yeah. so I think that you're right. There's a good chance to see some of these younger guys. You know, they don't have a lot of film on them, so you get a chance to kind of surprise some people. So I, I, I like the chemistry of this young group and, and kind of where they're going. Is there anybody in the minor leagues that you think, boy, they could probably get a shot before the end of the year? Anybody we should keep our eyes on? Um. Well, I'm going to have to tout one of my own. Okay,
1: Uh, Bobby Miller, you know, was from University of Louisville. It's a great-looking body. I mean, big and strong and athletic. Uh, I saw somewhere last year that his average fastball in the minor leagues would have either been the top in the big leagues or maybe under one guy, you know, of average fastball. Um, but he's got secondary pitches to go with it. Um, so, you know, I, I would think, you know, he's real close, Mm -hmm. you know, if he stays healthy pitches, well, I would think he's real close. Um, you got stone who, you know, was, this one was a great one because it was COVID year. We get stone out of, uh, uh I think it was Central Arkansas in like the fifth round, you know? Mm. And shoot, he has gone and pitched really well. Um, you know, quick arm, he was at three levels last year, dominated at all the levels, um, ninety-four. He's got feel for multiple secondary pitches, change up, breaking ball, and you know, he's really done a, a good job. Um of pitching, throwing strikes, attacking guys, and he's got out pitches to go with it. And, Mm. you know, I I think, again, that's sort of a testament to the scouting and player development Mm. because, you know, here was that COVID years was hard to scout because you only had really four, um, weekends to scout. oh yeah you know so we saw we saw what we like you know so taking a guy from central arkansas in the fifth round that doesn't have that much history and maybe not much um film on him like you were saying um you know but again that's the eyes of the scouts and then they you know when you put them in the player development and now look what you got um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's, uh, Cartier is a re- really good looking kid. Um, I remember seeing him, I think he was like 16 or something, you know, and we were at, uh, in Arizona watching him and it was like, who is this guy? You know? Um, <laughs> but you know, he was, I think he, I think his highest level last year was, is, was high. A. So he's a little bit away. I think Michael Bush, You know, um, has swung the bat really well throughout the minor leagues. And again, we liked when we drafted Bush, we liked um, the bat. And it was a little bit of like, all right, where's he going to play type of deal, you know? Um, And I think it was a little rough at second base, you know? Mm. But he's gotten with our player development people. And and you know it's a much better, cleaner look um, defensively. And again, it's you know hats off to the player development. And and I think I heard uh, Jerry. I asked this to Jerry Royster many years ago because he was doing our infield stuff. I said, "Can guys improve defensively? Probably more than any other tool." Hmm. And he said, "Absolutely." You know. He said, "If they've got hand eye to hit, they should have hand eye enough to catch ground balls, you know. And so it's now the feet moving them to get them in the right place, and you know, because you go back and look at some of, you know, they were talking about Wade Boggs was a horrible defender when he started, hmm. you know. Now was he plus? No, but he could really hit, and he was, you know, plenty decent. I I forget the thing on Jeter. I think it was like." in the 50s or maybe 60s airs, you know, when he first started. Wow. Like his first full season, you know. But you got an athlete. Obviously, the hand-eye for Jeter was incredible, you know. And it just – so I think defensively they can improve probably more than any other tool.
0: Interesting. So
1: those are, I think, probably the main – you know, but you never know. I mean, yeah, there will be some other – some name that I've – forgotten or left out that, you know, shock the world coming in. So,
0: <laughs> Okay. Uh, several new rules in baseball this year. Um, some are designed to speed up the game. Some are designed to make it a little bit more interesting. You've got the no more shift rule with the infield. You've got the batter clock, the pitcher clock, all these different things. Can you explain to us just some of these rules and how they might change and the impact they might have on the game? Well, to be honest with you, I had to look some of them up.
1: I knew that was going to be a question potentially. So I thought I better look some of these up because I was talking to my boy the other day and he, he he's like, and I said, son, I don't even know what, the, you know, like, and he started laughing, you know, you know, like you've been doing this for like 50 years and you don't even know the <laughs> rules of the game now, you know, um, the, the one, um, I don't know, I, I guess because I've done it so long, I do call myself, I guess, or would think of myself as more of a traditionalist. So, you know, the base is going to be, instead of 15 inches, it's going to be 18 inches. Hmm. So what that creates is like a four and a half inch difference from first to second, second to third. Um, Obviously a bigger base, I think they were worried about safety and collisions at first base i don't know if that's valid or not really to be honest with you i mean there could still be a collision with a bigger base um i think they're wanting to try to create more stolen base opportunities um with that bigger base my i guess my problem with that one is the base size is so bang bang plays that if you were out in the past And now you're safe. How's that change records potentially, you know, along the way that have been set. I don't know that that's really a fair, you know, and there's not going to be that many, I don't think, but you know, maybe a guy gets a hit or a stolen base or whatever. I I don't know. I, I don't not totally. I don't know about that one. You know, the shift now, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't talked to any big league hitters and really asked them about that. Um, I did feel like, just personally, that the hitters were being very hard-headed and stubborn, mm. not to try to use the whole field. You know, like you know, there's more guys in that area. You know, why not try to use more of the whole field, or if at least, oh man, bunt balls down the third
0: base. You know, I mean. You are speaking to the choir here because every game I watch, I just say, just bunt the ball down the third base line. No one's over there, and no one would do it. Yeah. So I don't know. I It seemed a little hardheadish
1: to me. But then again, I mean, I don't know. You, you have to realize, one, you're trying to win, obviously, right? But these guys trying to put up numbers to get these contracts – you know, and know that if I run the ball out of the ballpark, mm. my contract might be big. You know what I mean? And I'm not faulting them for that. It is what it is, you know? Right. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the advanced analytics, just the scouting and, and where they position guys, um, they had it pretty dialed in, you know, where guys hit the ball, you know, because – There'd be, you know, what you typically thought was a base hit, and all of a sudden there's a guy standing right there. So, mm-hmm. um, I do think it'll affect a little bit the range of the players in the sense of that because now without the shift, if I'm, let's just say, a second baseman and I know I've got somebody back behind me, um, to potentially be there that's standing out in the outfield as an infielder, you know, that are we in the need to sort of rethink a little bit? uh, Because I think you could put not the same guys that didn't have the same range that necessarily they did in the past at some different positions. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think of like, remember like Roberto Alomar, you know, he'd he'd catch those balls where they – You know, and so I think that'll be a little bit different. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out um, with all this stuff. You know, I would assume batting averages and that kind of thing will go up. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw some stat the other day that it was pretty amazing. Like, it was, I think it was like teams that were under, as a team average, under 240, you know, and it sort of went, I think, back into the 90s and then started going up into the 2000, 2022, whatever. And, you know, it, it increased quite a bit. that guys weren't hitting for anywhere close to the same average. So Wow. But then you've got the analytic deal of, you know, does average even mean anything anymore? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. They're trying to run them. Well, uh-
0: It doesn't in Kansas City, so you know we just all hit 180.
1: (laughs) I do think the pitch clock will be
0: interesting
1: um,
0: because you
1: know you've seen lately some of the clips and spring training and this and that and you know and and I think the players will get used to it. I do think that um, I've had buddies do the minor leagues uh, last year and say it cut off quite a bit of time. And then I looked right before we got on here. I think the average big league game was like three hours and three minutes last year. And in the minor leagues, they were like 238. Hmm. So it almost cut off a half an hour of, of ball games. And I mentioned this at the park. I was sitting with some scouts the other day. And I said, it seems like, and I'd have to go back and ask guys from that, but just watching on TV the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, you know, that kind of thing. They sort of played with their own speed-up clock anyhow. I mean, if you think about watching those old games, the pitchers got it, threw it, the guys stood in, stood in the box, they didn't get out, you know. We used to, like when you and I were growing up, we had that Mike Hargrove, they'd call him the human rain delay and he'd get out and adjust everything. But they'd sort of – now everybody does that. and every You know, it's such a slower pace. So I do think the players – uh, hitters and pitchers will get used to it. And I do think it's got a chance to speed things up. Colleges are doing it, and they had to have good pitching, though. I didn't see the game. But Louisville played a game in like an hour and 48 minutes or something. Wow. Wow! Yeah. Now both guys, you know, pitched really well and whatever. But even on the college level, you're seeing – like we were at a game the other day, and it seemed – just the way the offense and the everything was working, it seemed like it would if when you looked up at the clock it would have been three and a half hours and it was only a three hour game. They are so they're getting it going a little bit quicker. So I do think I don't know, nobody wants to sit through four hour ball games and you know, these especially the college, I mean, it got really bad, you know, where you know, four hour game was
0: I don't want to say the norm, but you had quite a few of them, mm. and that's a long time. It is. You know? It is. If I take my family, they're checked out after two innings. They've eaten what they came to eat, and we're done. So, Right. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you about Refuge for Women. It's a great organization that you have been a part of for a number of years, and I know we have mutual friends that helped start this and get it going. It's an incredible organization. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about it.
1: Refuge for Women was created in Kentucky. Um, and it's basically to help, um, get women out of human trafficking and sexual exploitation. Um, and we've got long-term houses across the country, different locations across the country. We've got transitional living, we've got emergency house, um, the long-term living. We can bring in, um, ladies and they can stay up to a year and go through, a um everything's paid for um they're in more of a house setting than they are you know a dorm or anything like that so it's the max in these long-term houses is only six ladies so they're it's a more of a family type situation they go through therapy counseling bible studies they'll go through um not Uh, AA. But what's the other one? Celebrate Recovery. Mm -hmm. They go through several celebrate recovery. They'll go through different Bible studies, you know, all this kind of things. um, You know, they're they're in charge of, you know, one night a week, they'll be in charge of cooking a meal, you know, and some of these ladies, they've never had to do that, you know, so um, it's a really great program organization. Um, We're seeing a lot of good things um, of these ladies that have gone through the program, a lot of them will go for a second year through transitional living. And it's just a way to, um, one, obviously get them off the streets and out of these bad situations that they've been, that they've been in. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen a ton of baptisms, um, them giving their life to the Lord and, and just sort of, I don't know. To me, one of the biggest things is for them to see the value that God sees them Mm. in them, you know. And I think for a lot of them, they didn't ever see that value, Mm. you know, and now being for them to be able to see that, you know, somebody loves me, God loves me. You know these people around me love me. They're serving me. They're helping me, and it, and you see, you know we've got ones that um, are now out working in 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 uh, in the community in different places, and you know a lot of them they've never really had a regular paycheck, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. So I don't know. There's a lot of great stories coming out of it. A lot of uh, transformation of these. these women's lives and again you know them seeing the need for god and jesus and and them acting on that and uh changing their lives no doubt
0: that's amazing well the website is refugeforwomen.org encourage our listeners to check it out maybe refer someone there but also support the ministry it's incredible marty as always it's a joy thank you so much for spending some time with us um, I feel like at the time of recording, you've probably got better weather than we have here in L.A. It's rainy and cold. So, uh, and we don't get bluegrass out of the deal. You guys do. So enjoy, enjoy Kentucky, and thanks so much for being a part of the, of the podcast. You gotcha. Thank you for having me. Well, Marty, thank you so much uh, for being a part of the show. We are so grateful for your contribution, for what it is that we're trying to do here. And we definitely want to encourage people to check out the Refuge uh, website and find out more about how you can sponsor this incredible organization that helps rescue women Uh, from sex trafficking and from that industry, and I think you're really going to be blessed by blessing them. Well, next week, we're back with a conversation with our favorite criminologist, CSI detective, Detective Jim Wallace. Jay Warner Wallace, as you may know him from his books, is back to help us process the crucifixion as a crime scene as we get closer and closer to Easter. I want to encourage you to check out Real Life Church's online campus and specifically the resources that are provided during this particular uh, Holy Week. Incredible stuff from the Holy Lands, incredible stuff from our online campus pastor, and great resources for you as you move towards Easter. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. As always, keep it simple. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, our partner Belay is offering their leadership toolkit free to listeners. In it, you can learn the steps to take as a leader to accomplish more and juggle less. Belay's Modern Church Staffing Solutions have been helping busy church leaders delegate important financial details for over a decade. Their fractional U.S.-based contractors provide accounting and virtual assistant services to level up your church through the power of delegation. Just text Rusty, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123. to claim this exclusive offer and get back to leading your church well with Belay.